Hey, welcome back to Well That's Interesting. The there's a lot we don't know, and when we do know, it'll be legit stranger than what we ever expected. Edition. Today is <laughs> that was long. Today is episode 154. Let's talk about these weird explosions in space and these unknown structures inside Earth. My friends, we're not gonna answer anything today. <laughs> That's right. You heard me. Today's episode is going to highlight some recent discoveries that are leaving researchers absolutely bewildered, leaving us with only theories as to what in the holy hell these things could be. In the first half of the show, something near and dear to every one of my fellow Americans out there, we're going to talk about explosions. Yeah. I could feel you smiling from here. Uh, we're going to talk about explosions just colossal in size and horrifying in scale, uh, in terms of temperature, brightness, location, you name it. These very particular boomy booms <laughs> are unlike anything seen across the universe. And uh, they're so luminous, by the way, they could tell gamma rays to hold my beer. But like the title suggests, we don't know what the fuck they are. Although scientists do have a few ideas. Today, we're going to cover the handful of explosions that have been captured and those theories. If you, <laughs> if you have any ideas of your own, please, after listening to this, share it in the comment sections on our social media stuff. Just come on by. I would love to hear your thoughts. Then, after the break, continent-sized blobs deep inside the Earth. <laughs> My friends... Two amorphous anomalies surrounding our Earth's core are among the largest physical structures on the planet, and they're a total mystery. Now, when I say continent-sized, I fucking mean it. It's estimated they make up somewhere between 3 to 9% of Earth's total volume. That is a hefty chunk, nearly 10%. But even though their size is staggering, it's not very helpful in determining what they are. They exist in an environment literally so crushing that their mineral composition can't be verified because molecules behave differently down there under incomprehensible pressure. So <laughs> you may be asking, what? <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Where are they exactly? How do we even know they're there to begin with? And how in the holy hell did they get there? All Great questions. Fantastic. And we're going to try, we're going to try to try <laughs> to answer them, along with breaking down the absolutely insane environment known as the Lower Mantle, where these two blobs call home. Um, I'm not going to give any more away here, but I will say, if you think space is crazy, <laughs> hold on to your cheeks when we talk about the Lower Mantle. Oh, and if this is your first time listening, welcome to the flock, my terrestrial business goose. I'm Jill Chacha, and we're going to begin today with a hop, skip, and a jump over to a month earlier this year, April 2023. That was easy, and that's going to be the easiest thing we'll do today. <laughs> it's April 10th, to be exact, and we're having the goddamn time of our lives at the Polymer Observatory in California, located at the tippity-top of the Polymer mountain range in San Diego. 
In the captain's seat of its powerful-as-fuck telescope is the excellently named Ashley Crimes. Yes, Ashley Crimes, an astrophysicist from Radboud University in the Netherlands and lead author of a brand spanking new paper describing what we're about to witness. My dear business goose, if you would, do Ashley a favor and press a few dials on this observatory dashboard thingy that will make our telescope zoom in on a seemingly empty section of space. There's something that doesn't seem quite right, so please zoom in. All right, keep going. Farther, please keep going, keep going. A little more. Yeah, oops, stop, stop, go back, go back, go back a little. Perfect, perfect. You fucking nailed it. Now, my friends, if you want to see for real what we're looking at, head on over to our social media stuffs, Instagram, Twitter, with an X for some reason. Tap on today's post and behold, a dot, kinda. I, I've got it in front of me here. Uh, yeah, that's... Okay, it's a dot at the top, but don't you dare hit that stop button. God damn it, you stick with me now. Um, <laughs> please, take a look at the uh, two other smudges, per se, underneath it. Those are galaxies. Yeah. So that gives you a sense of scale as to how big this explosion is. And yes, it's an explosion. It was found, quote, outside any galaxy seemingly exploding in intergalactic space near two potential host galaxies about three billion light years from our own. It's about three to four times outside the radius of these galaxies, Dr. Crimes told Jonathan O'Callaghan of the New York Times. So, okay, my perplexed business goose, I bet you have a few questions like, who is blowing up what now and should we be concerned? Excellent. Great questions. But I assure you, this is just nature, and she's letting it rip. <laughs> that we know. Uh, it's not aliens. I'm sorry. Let's just, let's just get into it. Uh, this not-so-little fella has been dubbed the Finch. And we're going to get into why all of these types of explosions are named after adorable animals in a minute. First, here are some not-so-adorable, more terrifying aspects of what's been classified as luminous fast blue optical transients, or LFBOTs for short. I think we need to break down that weird ass name. Quote, these space explosions are much brighter than supernovas, which occur when stars explode, hence the luminous designation. They brighten quickly, hence fast, and are extremely hot, reaching 70,000 degrees Fahrenheit and thus emitting blue light. Typically, supernova brighten and fade over weeks to months, said Diane Copahan, an astronomer, I nailed that, an astronomer at Warwick University in England. These LFBOTs brighten in just three to four days and fade on much faster timescales, end quote from the New York Times. My friends, okay, I have to underscore something. These things are somehow brighter than a fucking supernova, and in terms of time, on the universe's scale, they're at their brightest in just three to four days. That's less than a fart in the wind, if I may be so poetic. Now, the Finch, the Finch is not the first recorded LF bot. The first was seen just a few years ago on June 17th, 2018, by researchers at the Twin Atlas Telescopes 
in Hawaii. On this historic day, they, quote, spotted a bright flash in space that hadn't been there when they checked about two days before. Most supernova take a few weeks or even longer to reach their full brightness, but this explosion took days. It really just appeared out of nowhere, says Kate McGuire at Queen's University Belfast, who is part of the Atlas team. Its peak brightness was incredibly high, 10 to 100 times brighter than most normal supernova. There are other objects that have been discovered that are as fast, but the fastness and the brightness, that's quite unusual, says McGuire. There hasn't really been another object like this, she told NewScientist.com. Oh boy. I cannot imagine the nerdy giddiness Kate and her fellow astronomers felt to witness and document in absolute first. They went on to publish their findings on the delightfully named website Astronomer's Telegram. Uh, it's a place where researchers can post new observations of short-lived cosmic phenomena. And if you think about it, that sounds fucking wild. That sounds like a wild time. I am not being sarcastic. They probably see some shit, some wild shit. Again, this is Astronomer's Telegram, a place where researchers post new observations of short-lived cosmic phenomena. Woo. Anyway, in 2018, this new category called LFBOTS just got its first member. Quote, it was cataloged as AT2018COW, or the cow for short. That just makes me so happy. Uh, the name was just a lucky coincidence. Events on the Astronomer's Telegram are given three-letter labels. Ooh, that's hard to say. Three-letter labels in alphabetical order based on when they were added. Initially, it seemed like the explosion must be in our own galaxy to appear so luminous, but shortly after the initial observations, a group of Chinese astronomers found details in its light that indicated, no, it was likely in another galaxy almost 200 million light years away. In the following few days, assorted teams of astronomers use at least 18 more telescopes to look at the cow. <laughs> Sorry. That, that's a funny sentence. That's just a funny sentence to say out loud. I didn't think it was funny when I was typing it, but it's funny when I say it out loud. In the following few days, assorted teams of astronomers used at least 18 more telescopes to look at the cow, <laughs> taking more detailed observations in a variety of different wavelengths of light. I think it's the largest number of reports for any single object ever on Astronomer's Telegram, says Robert Rutledge at McGill University in Canada, the editor-in-chief of the site. These observations led to the interpretation that the cow is some sort of explosion of high-energy particles moving close to the speed of light. It's, this is, it's just really great. I'm sorry. It's just, I will, I will get past my giggles. Okay. Because this next part, you need to lean in. Okay. Continuing the quote, its surface temperature is more than 8,900 degrees Celsius or 16,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And it's expanding outwards at 20,000 kilometers per second or 12,427 miles per second, end quote, from newscientist.com. That's a fast cow. My friends, <laughs> you heard me. That was a lot, but you heard me. First, thanks to Astronomer's Telegram's random way of naming phenomenon, we now have the tradition of naming LF bots 
after wildlife, and fuck yeah. And two, this began a frenzy of astronomers looking for these things. But turns out, LF bots are probably not only the most bizarre explosions out there, but the rarest. Since 2018, only half a dozen have been verified, or just one a year. And if you want to know some of their other names, and I know you do, uh, there's the koala and Tasmanian devil. I, I know, exactly, charming, I agree. Anyway, because of their rarity and, ooh, rarity, and brief existence and the limited data, it's hard to pin down what they are exactly. And the finch, the finch, remember the finch, by the way, uh, the newest edition, the finch threw a monkey wrench, no pun intended, into whatever theories astronomers had going before. For you see, the finch took place in the middle of nowhere, seen for the first time outside any known galaxy, just out there on its own. Quote, at that distance, you don't expect to have many or any stars, Dr. Chimes told the New York Times. And this, my celestial business goose, is the problem because, continuing from the Times, quote, the most promising theory is that a giant star, about 20 times the mass of our sun, has undergone a failed supernova as a black hole forms at its core. If the star is massive enough, it might collapse into the black hole rather than exploding back out as a supernova. This produces powerful jets that could shoot outward and are detective, detected as LF bots. That's the model I've tended to favor over the past few years, says Daniel Purley, an astronomer at Liverpool John Moores University in England. But I wouldn't say I'm willing to definitely say that's the one. End quote. Okay. So, my friends, are these curious explosions the results of a fresh black hole eating a star from the inside out? <laughs> that's, whoa, that's aggressive. And I wrote that, Jesus. Um, that's borderline porn. Uh, <laughs> if you're a longtime member of the flock, you better believe I hope so. Um, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Moving on. But with the finch being so far outside any two nearby galaxies, Dr. Crimes is skeptical. Uh, she told the New York Times, quote, a massive star shouldn't been able to get out there unless there's an unseen cluster of stars, stars in its vicinity. End quote. I'm still laughing about the fresh black hole eating a star from the inside out. That was just, that was a little too much, Jill. You should have scaled it back. Um, <laughs> it's too late now. There's just no way to edit. So <laughs> I have a feeling Crimes will be focusing on that particular area of space for a while. Uh, in the meantime, there's another theory, also involving black holes, of course, because, let's face it, it always, it, it always comes down to holes, folks. Um, <laughs> LF bots could be something like tidal, dis tidal disruption events, where a black hole is eating material from a companion star, shining brightly in the process. LF bots could also be the end result of two neutron stars merging, a neutron star being the remnant core of a dead massive star. Um, that particular process can take billions of years, which might, quote, give them the time to migrate far away from their galaxies as the Finch did, Dr. Crimes told the New York Times. So, in sum, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. Uh, we have no solid lead right now. And honestly, I gotta say, I think the more 
LF bots we find, the more questions will arise. Um, and a more and more adorable like animal names, which I'm really looking forward to. So please watch this space, no pun intended, in 2026, a new telescope, unfortunately named Ultrasat. Yes, it will go live. Y'all, these names, Ultrasat. <laughs> Say it with me now, Ultrasat. Yeah, it sounds like the laziest supervillain. And I am here for that Marvel movie or porno. I don't know what's happening with this episode. Let's move on again quickly. Uh, Anna Y. Q. Ho, an astronomer at Cornell, told the New York Times, Ultrasat is expected to find, quote, 10 or even 100 LF bots per year. It will really dominate the rate of discovery, end quote. Okay, so I was a little wrong. Turns out Ultrasat is not lazy at all. Uh, so fuck yeah, let's do it, Anna. Let's find these LF bots. But um, the flock, we've got dibs on the goose. All right, I'm looking at you. After the break, <laughs> we're heading uh, in the total opposite direction. We're leaving galaxies behind, returning to Earth. And once we land, we're not going to stop. We're going down deep under the surface and shit is going to get weirder. Extremely weird. I cannot wait. So please... Stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back. We are so back. And my friends, usually I tell you to pack sunscreen or climbing gear or to charge up the old time machine to prepare for our destination. But there is absolutely nothing you can bring, wear, or slather on your soft little body that will protect it. As far as we know, no living thing could possibly survive here. My friends, we need to talk about the lower mantle first so I could explain why we don't understand the structures that were found here. Let's begin. Let's begin with the temperature first because I'm sure you'll wanna dress appropriately. Um, well, on average, it's 1,827 degrees Celsius or 3,000 321 degrees Fahrenheit. And because we're so far underground, we're experiencing pressure equivalent to around 1.3 million times the amount at Earth's surface. We are very dead. We are so dead. We're so dead. But luckily, this is a theoretical visit. And with our theoretical eyeballs, we'd witness everyday elements acting completely different in this kind of environment. Imagine rock as flexible as plastic, 
while oxygen acts like a metal. I know, it's weird, but don't worry, it gets weirder. <laughs> this place, you guessed it, is called the Lower Mantle, and it's the layer that surrounds the Earth's core. Here, our theoretical eyeballs would be blinded by the enormous collective presence of crystals. You heard me. Crystals, of all things. So please, call your friend. You, that friend. We all have that friend. Call them and tell them it's full of crystals. Um, one type of crystal is very familiar to us. We'd recognize the diamonds and hold on to your cheeks. There's about one quadrillion tons of them in the mantle in total. Yes, that's a one followed by 15 zeros. But please, and I mean this from the bottom of my goddamn heart, for the love of God, keep this between us business geese, because if the rich ever find out, you know a billionaire would come up with some extremely bad scheme to reach it. So please, that's just a secret between all of us. Okay, okay, good. I feel better. Now, I think the more interesting crystals here are the ones called Bridgmanite and Dave Mawite. Uh, I don't know who Dave is, but these particular minerals do not and cannot exist on the surface. They can only exist here, and they need the ultra-high pressures unique to the lower mantle to develop. In fact, in theory, if we could bring them up to the surface, they'd break apart and disintegrate. Kind of like when you try to bring a deep sea creature up to the surface, nothing, nothing good happens there. They just look like blobfish. It's just, it's just a bad, bad look. So I know what you may be thinking at this point. Well, if we can't bring them up, how do we know they're there, there, then? <laughs> well, fantastic question. Quote, these elusive minerals can only be seen when they become trapped inside diamonds brought to the surface. Even then, what these crystals would actually look like deep inside the Earth is impossible to predict because their physical properties are so altered by the pressures they usually exist under. At these depths, the chemistry changes totally, says Vibran Lekic, an associate professor of geology at the University of Maryland in the United States. For all we know, there are some minerals that would become more transparent, he told Zarya Gorvit of the BBC. So... Now, now, my shiny business goose, now that we know the underground is more like the upside down, we can go ahead and finally introduce what you've all been waiting for. And to start, I'd like you to picture the entire Earth. Mm-hmm. The whole thing, the whole, the whole damn thing. Thank you. Thank you. Now, if you will, point to Portugal and its neighbor, Spain. Fantastic. With your finger, move south, tracing the entire western coastline of Africa. And please, just keep going. Keep going, keep going, until you hit the very end, or South Africa. Here, we're going to make a sharp right and travel east. Okay, keep going. Keep going. I know, we're over water, just, but don't, don't panic. Keep going. Keep going farther and farther until you're in the middle of the Indian Ocean. My friends... Under everything you just pointed to, inside the lower mantle, is one mass called Tuzo. And it's not only unfathomably large, it's also very tall. It's thought to be up to 800 kilometers or 497 miles high. And if you're like, 
damn, that really is tall. You're absolutely right. That's the equivalent to 90 Mount Everest stacked one atop the other. That is Tuzo. Say hello. You could wave. That's fine. Now, if you will, please once more, imagine the entire Earth. Thank you. Now, all you need to do is turn the globe just a bit and look at the Pacific Ocean. Uh, yeah, from Eastern Australia all the way to California, the whole damn thing. Under this is Jason. I know. I don't know what's harder to grasp, the size of this thing or why it's been named Jason, but don't let that distract you. Uh, not only does this mass cover a remarkable distance, it too is just ridiculously tall. 1,118 miles tall, or give or take 203 Mount Everest. Yeah, my teeny business goose, these things are under our feet. Well, I mean well over 400 miles deep, but Tuzo and Jason are there. And I know what you may be asking, how in the holy fuck do we know that? And are they the ancient gods, like in a cabin in the woods? Uh, valid, valid questions. <laughs> Clearly, we can't get down there. So curious researchers who've always wanted to know what the inner workings of our planet look like came up with an ingenious solution to find out. Quote, we can look under the surface pretty effectively by utilizing earthquakes in a technique known as seismic tomography. When earthquakes occur, waves of energy are sent in all directions. By measuring, by measuring, <laughs> by measuring the tremors from several locations at the surface, scientists can create a map of the Earth's interior. Since rocks and liquid within the Earth are of different densities, the waves move through them at different speeds allowing geologists to figure out what type of material the waves are going through. End quote from James Felton of IFL Science. My friends, this method has been used since the 1930s, and as technology developed over the years, and with every earthquake over the years, geologists have successfully modeled a 3D map of inner Earth. But there's one big, big problem. Uh... Remember when I said, quote, since rocks and liquids within the Earth are of different densities, the waves move through them at different speeds, allowing geologists to figure out what type of material the waves are going through, end quote? Yeah, that, uh, that was not referring to Tuzo and Jason. We don't know for sure what they're made of. As we just learned, the lower mantle... <laughs> Sorry. I don't know why I'm laughing. As we just learned, the lower mantle's 1.3 million pounds per square inch really fucks with the laws of chemistry and physics as we know them here on the surface. Not only that, every time one of these energy waves passes through these masses, the waves slow down, which means Tuzo and Jason are denser than the surrounding mantle and somehow hotter, which is really insane. So if Tuzo and Jason are made of the same material as the rest of the Earth's mantle, quote, they're breaking fundamental laws. Just like a stubborn lid that has been run under a hot tap to release it, materials tend to expand when they're heated up, making them less dense. This is hard to reconcile if the blobs are made from plain old silicates like the rest of the mantle, the dominant material found in granite and sandstone. As a result, it's thought that the blobs must have a different chemical makeup to the surrounding rock. 
Perhaps they're composed of minerals that are unusually rich in something heavy, like iron or nickel, end quote, from the BBC. And my friends, my silky business goose, if Tuzo and Jason aren't made of the usual stuff and are something heavy, this is where theories get weird. And again, it's not fucking aliens, I'm sorry, or reptile people, people or any of that cute shit. It's just nature, and she ain't here to play. Let's go down the list of possibilities. Enter all the chimey notes. One, the earliest idea is that our buddies are ancient. I'm talking back to the time of primordial Earth, when it was still forming. Then Earth's mantle was an ocean of molten magma. But as minerals in this layer began to harden and crystallize, quote, some regions held on to impurities that had been mixed in when it was still a liquid. These have remained in place for all this time. Back in 2014, an international team of geologists calculated that this kind of blob could easily last three billion years, even though the Earth's mantle is always swirling around gently as hotter parts rise and cooler ones descend, end quote, from the BBC. So that's a pretty good theory. That's a pretty good one. Uh, number two, second theory. Uh, remember when you learned about tectonic plates in school? Or, or at least try to remember. It's been a while. Uh, they just bang into each other or slide under each other. Well, it's possible Tuzo and Jason may be an accumulation of broken off pieces of crust, which eventually sink to the bottom of the mantle. They fuse and form a joined structure that could have different chemical makeup to, uh, as to this, compared to the surrounding rock. And uh, that's a really nice, uh, that's a nice theory there too. But um, I got to tell you my favorite theory. You know, I, uh, I, I really do. I left, I think I left the best for last. Um, hold on to your cheeks and listen to this. Quote, it's a little known fact that there are actually three celestial bodies in our little patch of the solar system. The Earth, the Moon, and Thea. Today, the latter is little more than a ghost after smashing into our planet four and a half billion years ago. For decades, it was thought that when this small Mars-sized planet collided with the infant Earth, the resulting debris, mostly from the other planet itself, coalesced to form the Moon. But there are problems with this idea, such as the fact that the Earth and the Moon are share similar chemical uh, <laughs> I can do this again, delete, delete, delete. But there are problems with this idea, such as the fact that the Earth and the Moon share similar chemical signatures, as though they were created out of the same material. Instead, researchers have suggested an alternative. After slamming into early Earth, Thea became mixed up with its inner contents, forming part of the mantle. Meanwhile, the Moon formed not from the extraterrestrial planet itself, but the shards of the Earth that were blasted out. The twist is that Thea didn't mix into the Earth in its entirety. Most of it was so dense that it wasn't affected by the currents within the mantle. In fact, the foreign planet exists as lumps inside the Earth to this day. End quote from Zarya Gorvit of the BBC. Oh, <laughs> I just realized it actually could very well be an alien. It's an alien planet. <laughs> I told you it wasn't an alien, but it could be. 
I totally lied to you. I'm so sorry. It could totally be an alien planet. And that is fucking cool. And I am 100% behind this. So anyway, as we speak, geologists around the world are still working on the riddle that is Tuzo and Jason. If I hear anything, I'll let you know. If you hear anything, let me know. In the meantime, thank you for listening, rating, subscribing, telling your friends about these, the finch, the cow, the cow, start with the cow, because, I mean, you got to start with the cow, uh, just tell them about the explosions, and that we don't know what they are, what are their theories, you can tell them to come on over and uh, drop them in the comments section, and uh, don't forget to tell them about Tuzo and Jason, just, I, you know, if it's a cabin in the woods situation, I'm not surprised, and uh, a big, wet, sloppy kiss you heard me, to Airwave Media, the podcast network to which, well, that's, well that interesting belongs. Uh, we're a close family. Uh, if you love this show, you're going to love the other podcasts that they host. Please check them out at airwavemedia.com. And please stay interesting. <laughs>